Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to church. Who is in a good mood tonight? I am AJ. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you're new, uh, I oversee Riverhouse School of Ministry. Let me hear you. Come on. In the house of prayer, I'm definitely over the two best ministries in the church. So I feel blessed. Will you pray with me? Ooh. Yeah, why don't you hold hands with somebody next to you? I just feel like the Lord wants to, wants to do something deep in our hearts tonight. God, we, we come tonight as a church. Desperate and longing for more of your manifest presence in our midst. God, I just, I sit with my open, open heart tonight that I long, long to be so radically obedient to you. I ask God today that in this house, at River House, at, at, at this time of 509, that you would do a work in our midst, that you would mature us into your likeness, that we would be a people of radical joy, that we would be a people of radical hope, that to a world that's dying and to a world that is broken around us, that there would be a remnant in Boise, Idaho that burns with passionate love for you. I love you. (laughs) You are wonderful, Jesus. You are glorious. You are beautiful in all of your ways. You are bruised for our transgressions. By your wounds were healed. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all feel the presence of the Lord here tonight? I'm excited for tonight. I feel like I got a word from, from the Lord for us. Tonight we're gonna talk about suffering we're going to talk about joy. Does that sound okay? Everyone say suffering. Suffering. Say joy. Joy. Oh, thank you, Lord. So uh, we're in an Acts series. How many of you have been enjoying this series on the book of Acts? Hasn't it been fun? I think it's the first time ever we as a church have just camped out in a book. Um, I'm going to give a really quick overview, but just for For the last four or five weeks or so, we have been looking at the first seven chapters of Acts, and what we have seen so far is is Luke, the author of Acts, is communicating to us and trying to give language to what this new covenant, this new temple people, who they are. Right, And so far up until Acts, right, God lived in a building, but now what we see in the book of Acts is that God's chosen vessel is people. 
Isn't that good news? And what we've seen is uh, this new covenant community is living in a, a way that is causing disturbance. It is causing difficulties. It is causing, uh, uh, my, may I say, drama. <laughs> oh, man, don't you love some drama? I feel like sometimes when I read the Bible and I see drama in the Bible, I'm like, praise God, there was drama back then. Because there's drama today. But, but this new covenant community is causing drama um, because they're preaching a gospel that is violating the mental map of the Jewish people. And not only are they preaching a, 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 a message of salvation and a message of redemption, but they are demonstrating it with power from on high. And signs and wonders and miracles are happening in the midst. And yet what is beginning to happen is early on in the book, we see there's some disruption in minds, but now it is looking like actual persecution. So far we've seen the apostles have been flogged. I don't know about you, I've never been flogged, but that doesn't sound fun. Um, they've been thrown in prison. Thankfully, I haven't been thrown in prison, although or in my early days, I probably should have. Just kidding, just kidding. Wow, loose enough. Said the word suffering. It's like a swear word or something. And so we've seen uh, they're thrown in prison. And then last week, we talked about the first martyr of the Christian faith, and that is Stephen. How many of you here were last week? And so now we're at the point where this disruption that was messing with minds is now leading to some like pretty significant, hard and difficult realities for this new temple. But this new temple continually lives with joy. They continually gather. And guess what? In the midst of persecution, trials and difficulties, they just keep multiplying which is wonderful. And what Luke is trying to show us is that there, Jesus is showing that there is a new kind, Luke is trying to show us that the leadership of Jesus is now resting upon the disciples and these early Christians. And it now looks like a people group have the presence of God on them and they're living with radical humility. In the midst of persecution, difficulties, they are choosing to go low. And I don't know about you, but when I read that story of Stephen, it does something to my heart. Where you see a man who is literally getting rocks thrown, crushing his skull. And he is gazing into heaven, beholding the Lamb of God, doing exactly what we just did, but no stones were being thrown towards us. Powerful. And so one of the cool things, though, is that there's this transition point in the book of Luke after chapter 7, where so far Luke, in the book of Acts, where Luke has been for the first seven chapters describing to us who this new covenant community is. But now we, for the rest of the book, Luke is going to show us what this new covenant people did. And we're going to start looking at the mission. Everybody say mission. So from here on out in the book of Acts, what Luke is trying to show us is that God is on the move. Say, God is on the move. 
And so one of the things that I think is really important about talking about mission, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about mission. It's important because I believe in the Western world sometimes we have adopted a me-centric gospel. That, that Christianity is for me. That reading the Bible is for me. Me, I, I, I. Worship, when I come to church, it's for I. When I come to church, it's for my spiritual growth. It's for my advancement, right? And, and is the gospel for you? Yes, the gospel is for you, but is that the whole picture? No. We have a God who is radically on the move who is looking to restore and redeem all of creation. And what he's looking for is a people who wouldn't preach a me-centric gospel, but a gospel that looks to join what he's doing in their earth, rather than preaching a gospel where God supports man agenda in the earth. Does this make sense? And, and I think this is really, really, really important and in fact, if you look back at church history, some of the most, uh, you, you know, one of the things that Christians are labeled for a lot of the times, the church is labeled is as hypocrites. How many of you have heard that before, right? And a lot of the times, I believe, we're labeled as hypocrites because if you look at church history, you oftentimes see a church that used God to promote their own agenda, rather than finding what he's doing in the earth and partnering with him. And so there's a concept called Missio Dei. Here we go, teacher hat is on. And Missio Dei is a theological concept. It's a Latin term used to describe the idea that mission does not belong to the church, it belongs to God. Uh, I'm gonna read you a couple quotes from guys that are way smarter than me. Sound good? Um, this guy, Howard Snyder, puts it this way. It isn't the church of God that has a mission in the world. It's the God of mission who has a church in the world. Ha <laughs> It is not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill to the, in the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. Frost explains it this way. God is a sent and sending God who invites his followers to extend ourselves beyond ourselves. If you could take mission away from God, he wouldn't be God anymore. This matters because it releases the church to see what God is doing and wants to do in this world rather than taking control and seeking to dispense mission in a more manageable way. It allows the church to see God as more creative, daring, and effective than we would otherwise see. Isn't that wonderful? This is why theology is really important. We have a God who's on mission, looking to restore and redeem creation back into himself. And his, here's, here's the truth. God's going to get the job done. He's just waiting for people who are going to say yes to it. A Missio Dei idea says, God's writing a song and I'm putting it to paper. Right? Missio Dei, the idea of Missio Dei says that I'm partnering with, with what he's doing. God is the inaugurator of mission in the earth and I as a priest get to join him in what he's doing. Is that clear? Okay. So 
that's where we're going to be for the rest of the book. I don't know how much longer we're going to be in the book. I'm guessing for a little while. But today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Acts chapter 8? Wave those Bibles in the air like you love them and you care. Hallelujah. Some of you thought that was funnier than it really was. But today we're going to start looking at we're going to start looking at mission by looking at the connection between persecution, suffering, and the spread of the gospel. I am believing that God is going to give us a new perspective on persecution, suffering, and pain. Somebody say hallelujah. Okay, so chapter seven so far, we just saw Stephen was stoned. Um, At this point, the community is small and most of these people would have probably known each other. So Stephen was martyred for his faith and we're picking up here in chapter eight, verse one. It says, Saul agreed, who was a Pharisee, Saul agreed with putting him, Stephen, to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, dragging off both men and women and put them in prison. So there were those who were scattered, went on their way, preaching the word of God. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lamed were healed. Hallelujah. So there was great joy in that city. Okay, so here we have a new community, right? This isn't a community that is old. This is the the, the community of believers is really, really new at this point. And this new community is fresh off of seeing their Messiah brutally murdered, hung on a cross, who was marred beyond recognition, And their friend, they had seen the leaders of the church, right? The apostles, they had seen so far, the apostles had been flogged and thrown to prison. But how many of you know, like, when you're looking at something happen to your leaders, it's a little bit safer because you're like, oh, they're the leaders. They're going to get the ones that have the power, you know? But then here with Stephen, Stephen was a deacon. Stephen was just an ordinary guy that was coming to church And he was then stoned to death. And so all of a sudden, now everyone that is practicing this this new community called the way is now under extreme, what would I like to say, uh, caution (laughs) because the Jewish people are coming after them. And see, you know, we live in the West and when, when we have political and theological debates and disagreements in the Western world, the way that we handle it is by posting something mean on Facebook or Instagram. 
right? This is what we do. We say, ooh, can you believe what Biden's doing? Can you believe what that sect of Christianity believes, right? Like we handle things when people violate our mental map, we just post something about it. The way that the Eastern world deals with people that violate your mental map is they seek physical violence, right? And so this is no joke, Right? They are being persecuted because the message that they're preaching, they considered heresy. Because at this point, they're only, being, they're only being persecuted by Jewish people. And just wait until it goes to Rome. That's when things start getting really intense. And so I don't know about you, but I would be pretty darn scared. I, I, candidly, sometimes if I post something about Jesus, I remember in high school, I'd post something on Facebook about Jesus in high school and be like, ooh, I wonder what my friends in, that aren't Christians are gonna say. But that's not what we see. What we see in the early church is that in the midst of persecution of moms getting ripped from their children and thrown into jail cells, Fathers getting ripped from their families, thrown into jail cells. We don't see a church that shrinks back. We see a church that scatters, but were they scattering in fear? I don't think so because on their way, they were preaching the word of God. They were doing the very thing that was getting them in trouble. They saw persecution and suffering as an opportunity to say yes to what Jesus asked them to do in Acts 1.8 that says, you will be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. And where did they go? So, so what we see before in chapter 7 is they're in Jerusalem. Saul, this zealous Pharisee who's just seeking to um, be a protector of the law, sees that the church is a threat and he drives them out. And instead of them cowering fear, they say, wow, this is an opportunity to go be witnesses in the places that Jesus said we should be witnesses. And they go and to Samaria, which by the way, fun fact, most Jewish people would have seen as like a second class Jewish person. And yet they said, we still wanna go tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ and not only share the gospel, we're going to pray for the sick and cast out demons. This wasn't Paul. This, well, Paul wasn't a thing yet. Paul was the guy that was making them scatter. This wasn't Peter. This wasn't James. This wasn't John. This was a guy named Philip who was just an ordinary church member who became a deacon. There was no lay person in this community. They saw the mission of Jesus as essential. And one of the things that I love that we're gonna talk about a little bit later, but I just wanna mention now, is they weren't preaching a gospel of fear. They weren't preaching a gospel, be careful that 
angry dude, Saul, who's coming, who's going to throw your family in prison. Make sure that you just say a quick prayer to get your soul into heaven and, 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 and so that you're safe from the bad guys. No, they were preaching the gospel with faith and with power. And the manifestation of it was there was great joy in that city. I don't know about you. In the midst of their suffering, they had joy. And you want to know how I know they had joy? It's because you can't give away something you don't have. Amen. God throughout, this is my thesis for today. (laughs) If you're going to take notes, I'm going to say this a bunch more times. But God does not just use trials, persecution, and suffering for the advancement of the kingdom. The embracing of suffering, persecution, and difficulty is a vehicle in which he brings his redemptive plan to the earth. This is essential. This is essential to understand because sometimes we have the perspective like, thank you early church for going what you went through so that I can enjoy my freedom here in America today. But actually when you look at the text, when you look at the Bible on the Bible's terms for what the Bible says, what the Bible shows is that suffering Trials, difficulty, and persecution was a vehicle in which God would bring his redemptive plan to the earth. It wasn't just for those who were pioneering a new culture. We see this in Isaiah 53. Jesus suffered. He was marred more than any man. Jesus, the suffering servant, was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. You see... The suffering servant, Jesus, is what led to your redemption and my redemption. The the vehicle in which God showed his kingdom to the earth was through suffering. The vehicle in which God showed what the kingdom looks like was by the Beatitudes in Luke that said, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you are filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. 
<laughs> I'm getting drunk reading that. <laughs> Jesus. This is, that was Jesus talking. Jesus tells us that in the midst of our sufferings, trials, difficulties, to leap for joy. To leap, like, to leap for joy. And to rejoice. I, I want this, it's not despite of the suffering. Right? Uh, it's not in spite of it, it's in it. It's because of it. It's, it's not, it's not d despite, in spite, right? Some, sometimes I think that's how we choose suffering. It's I'm suffering, but I'm going to choose to be happy. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, be happy because you're suffering. Wow. Do you understand how unfamiliar we are with the kingdom? This wasn't just in the book of Acts. I mean, this wasn't just in Acts 8. This was in Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas, they're in Antioch. They're preaching the gospel. They're being persecuted. And in verse 48, it says, people were rejoicing when they heard the word of God. And in verse 52, it says, the disciples were continually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. James 1, 2, 1, 2 through 3, through free, free. <laughs> Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Listen to this one. This one's great. I could just all day. You know, every single New Testament book talks about suffering. Fun fact. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes again among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. How many of you feel that? Like you're like, dude, some weird stuff has happened to me since I've become a Christian. Like what in the world? <laughs> unusual things were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. I've heard it said, and I think this is fair. I can't remember what pastor said this, but it marked me when I was young. That sometimes it feels like we in the West who don't face that kind of persecution that our faith is like a really bad game of Simon Says. Have you ever played Simon Says with like a, a two or three year old who's rebellious? You know, it's like, pat your belly. They're like, ha, ha, Simon Says, pat your belly. They're like, ha, I'm touching my head. And sometimes it feels like that's where we're at. It's like Jesus is looking at his church and saying, rejoice and you're suffering, and we avoid suffering at all costs.
Don't be surprised when fiery and strange things happen to you. It's like when we get a cold, we're like, oh my gosh, is God good? It's, it's real. Or Jesus says, go out in all of the world, preaching the gospel, raising the sick, raising the dead, and casting out demons. And we're like, let's go listen to a podcast and figure out what the word heal means in the Greek. <laughs> Look, I'm all for the Greek. Great. But if you're not praying for people, Casting out demons? You pro- Stop studying the Greek. <laughs> he didn't tell you to study the Greek. I got Greek in my sermon, but I'm praying for people when I see them sick. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sobered by this. I know I'm being funny, but you guys think about COVID. Like just, I I didn't want to do this, but it's the best example. Think about it. Think about it. If any time we, as a collective people, could somewhat say we experienced some form of persecution, which I still think that's a stretch to call it that. Personally, my personal opinion, please don't be offended. That time was marked by anxiety. There are more people who have left the church. The church is continually on the decline since COVID. Statistics show that only 10, a Barna Group study, only 10% of, the, of, of Christians consider themselves to be a radical disciple. For my own self, I am one of the, I'm not cast in blame. I am one of the pastors of this church. I carry authority in this house. And in that time, did anyone look at me? Did I look at anyone and say, oh my gosh, rejoice. Be glad. You're partaking in the sufferings of Christ. Sure, maybe there were a couple moments But mostly it was like, oh, how are we going to get these people to agree with one another? It's a bad game of Simon Says. I think sometimes we have such a culture. Look, when we're going through trials, difficulties, sufferings, persecution, do we need to be comforted? Yes, we do. Do we over-prioritize comfort? I think so. Sometimes I think we overemphasize making sure everyone's perfectly okay, which shows a me-centric gospel, and don't see that this could be the very opportunity in which he wants to vehicle, in which he wants to bring his redemptive glory to the earth. You know, I've had a lot of, lot of suffering and difficulty in my life. I'm not gonna share my story today. But I, I had a lot, a lot, a lot of trials and I was comforted in so many wonderful ways. Like if it wasn't for the church's comfort and my 
time of suffering and difficulty, I would not be standing up on the stage. And yet very few times when I would give people phone calls saying like, this happened today, would I hear rejoice and be glad in it? But that is everywhere in scripture. I just read four verses, that's it. So I think it's important for us to get sobered by that reality. I think it's important, you know, I do, I do. I'm being firm on purpose. I'm being firm on myself. That like, I wanna be the kind of person, and I hope you do too, that wants to be like these guys. And, and be bold. Like Justin preached the other week. Instead of saying, God, take this suffering from me, they said, God, give us boldness to keep going. We spent so much time praying that God would end COVID that we didn't see that we could be a light in it. Me-centric prayers versus God-centric prayers. So fire when Justin said that. I felt electricity go through my whole body. Praise God. Praise God for electricity. And Justin, gosh, he's so wonderful. Master pastor. And that's facts. All y'all know that too. All right, so how was the early church? I think it's important to understand. Great, AJ, you're being really inspiring. You're also telling me that I need to be happy. Okay, but I would like to have some skills and tools to know how I can do this. And I think that's fair because I'm on the journey of it myself. But how was the early church able to live out with so much radical joy? There are probably a lot of reasons, but I'm gonna share two of them with you today. The first one is that they saw their suffering as partaking in the suffering of Jesus. They saw their suffering as if Jesus, they were experiencing the suffering of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Instead, rejoice as you share in the suffering of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. They so believed that they were the temple of the Holy Spirit, that when they were experiencing suffering, and I want to be clear, in this text, it's not just talking about persecution. It's talking about any kind of weird, strange thing that happens to you like sickness, whatever it is. They saw their suffering as it was Jesus Christ's suffering. They saw their suffering as an act of worship. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. So I think that's a mental map shift. Number two, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna work through this quick. Number two is they knew God's redemptive plan. They did not have an escapism theology. They did not put their faith in the gospel of salvation alone, but also the gospel of redemption, that God would restore and redeem all. They saw themselves as heaven and earth people. Therefore, because they were heaven and earth people and knew God's plan for redemption, they weren't preaching a gospel of escapism. They were preaching a gospel that said, if I'm suffering, maybe this would be one of those places where heaven and earth meet. You ready for this? Romans 8, this is so oily, you all might fall out in one moment. 
This is Paul, the goat of all goats. Besides Jesus, hey. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption in the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we are saved, but hope that isn't seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Paul continues. He says that the spirit empowers us in weakness and we join him in his intercession, that he works all things good for those who love him. And then it says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers could separate us from the love of God. They were fixated on the redemptive plan of God. To restore and redeem all things. And when you have that as your perspective, when you start to suffer, your eyes open and say, this is a vehicle in which God can bring his glory. This is a vehicle where the world can see (laughs) that we don't fight against flesh and blood. And we don't, this is Paul, he says, fight the good fight of faith, but we do not fight with weapons of this world. But we fight with suffering well, suffering in joy, not in joy, joyful suffering. May that be a place that heaven and earth collide and we see his kingdoms gloriously come. I have so much more. I could preach on this for days. Is God's heart that, these are questions that could come up. Is God's heart that you would suffer? No, his plan is redemption. But here's the reality, we are at war. I'm not gonna say it any other way. We're at war. And millennials and Gen Zers don't like that word. Older generations are, us- are fine with war imagery. But Jesus says that I have come with a sword. That is war language. 
Paul says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Not get comforted in them. Sorry. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That sounds like a battle to me. There is suffering in this world. There is pain. There is persecution. Because we are still at war. We know the end of the story. Jesus defeated death. The story is done. And yet, we're still in a battle. The war still rages on. And here's, here's something that I want to ask. In the Western world, are we persecuted and suffer in the same way that the early church and our many of our Eastern brothers and sisters today experience? No, we don't. We don't experience, most of us have not experienced that kind of persecution. If you have, I would love to meet you and honor you. But does that mean that we are not persecuted or that we are not suffering or that we don't have difficulties. Because what I believe what is true about the early days in the Eastern church is true for us that the war still rages on. Just because we live in the United States of America does not mean that there's like automatically Satan's not gonna attack you. In the war that rages on in the Western world, John Mark Comer says this, and I think it's wonderful. It really helps. It's the suffering and persecution of the soul. We live in a depressed, lonely, difficult society. The war that rages on for us today is not a war of physical threat and violence. It's the war that goes on in our head. And it sounds like this, give up. This walk with God isn't worth it. How many of you have said that before? I've been attacked in that way. Seriously, am I the only one? Just last year. You ready for this? Carrie's gonna love this story. Just last year, I'm watching Chef's Table because I love to cook. I'm watching Chef's Day. I love to cook. And I'm sitting there. Work has been hard, difficult. You know, ministry's not the easiest. And I was watching Chef's Table, and all of a sudden I'm hearing, eh, that'd be easy. You could still come and lead worship every once in a while. You get to cook all day. You'd be happy. You don't have to deal with crazies. Just give up, throw in the towel. You've done a good job. 10 years, come on, bud, good job. That's my wife. I go home all the time. Babe, I want to give up today. It's real. 
The war that rages on in our minds is that there is a middle of the road where you can be a good person and do some things that Jesus tells you to do, but hold on to the same sinful patterns because your friends are doing it also. I will get over it at some point. He is a God of grace, isn't he? The next one is build your financial safety nest, then follow Jesus. Or for you high schoolers, I'll decide to live in purity when I'm older. That's not just for high schoolers. <laughs> I will never be as spiritual as the people on stage, so why keep trying? I have to be culturally sensitive and not too talk and not and talk. Sorry, I'm gonna start over because this one's good. I have to be culturally sensitive and not talk too much about my convictions because I don't want to cause too much disturbance. There's already a lot of drama going on. Avoid suffering at all costs. Hide, 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 hide. Don't share your struggles. You have to maintain your appearance. These are just some of the lies that we experience in our head. And that's just as us as people. Yet alone, we live in a culture that says this. This is John Mark Comer from Live No Lies. A growing number of our secular friends and neighbors think of us not just as weird because we eschew premarital sex, give away a percentage of our income and refuse to be held captive by a political party or ideology. We're not just weird, we're dangerous. As a threat to secularism's alternative vision of human flourishing. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He says, so I shy away from saying that we face persecution, but there is kind of a cultural and socio-emotional persecution that we live under and carry the weight of. It's exhausting, the stigma, the slander, the wound to our hearts. When one of our Eastern pastor friends were visiting our church a few years ago, Jordan was telling me this week that he was continually overcome with emotion at the pain and joylessness on Americans' faces, in and out of the church. This is from a man who is in the persecuted, physically persecuted place in the world. Heidi Baker, who's a spiritual hero of mine, when I was in Mozambique, she was preaching on suffering one day and she has been flogged, she has been shipwrecked, she has been stoned, she has been shot at, she has been thrown in prison. She has her best pastor friends beheaded. Real act stuff, you know? And she said this, the most yielded that I've ever been to the Lord is when I told him that I would go back to Southern California. You live in more of a war than you realize. And the truth is, Second Timothy says this, if you, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How's that for a promise? They didn't tell me that before I went to the altar. I don't know about you. 
I didn't hear that one. This is from the, the king's own mouth. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. Oh, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, I have conquered the world. Everything in this world, everything in our current cultural moment is telling you to stop, is telling you to give up. But can you imagine that if we do not become victims to our suffering, but instead choose to rejoice and be glad in it, I believe we will become unstoppable. Because the mission, because God is on the move. And I believe the way we enter into his kingdom reality is by embracing our suffering. If you want to know what God's doing, when suffering comes your way, don't avoid it. Press in. In this room, um, this is, we're going to head into ministry time. If, if Schiff, you could come up, or, or Becca, anyone, I don't care. <laughs> I love you all. I'd play and do this at the same time, but I don't think it would work very well. But if, if we can bring the lights down, if that's possible, I, I just, I know in this room right now that there is all kinds of difficulties that people are facing. There are people in this room right now that you are rejected by your family or your friends because you believe in Jesus. There, there are some of you who are tormented in your mind to throw in the towel and to give up. It would be so easy. There are others of you who are under the torment of comparison in your finances, your physical appearance, your, your, your relationship. I saw this morning, I saw like, you're under comparison with your spouse's um, spirituality. I saw this morning so much comparison, like people in this room are under the influence of tormentation through comparison. It's through money. You're looking at other people in the church and you're saying, I just wish I had that much money and you don't have joy because of it. You're tormented with insecurity that is leading to a lukewarm faith. You're under the bondage of sin and can't get free. If you could, if there's one thing that you leave here today, those of you who are in bondage, I want you to hear this. This isn't gonna be fun, but it's good. 1 Peter 4.1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding because the one who suffers in flesh is finished with sin. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Too much of us have the theology that says, I'm just gonna pray my sin away. I prayed that God would help me stop sleeping with somebody I shouldn't be sleeping with. But he just didn't take that desire from me. Or I, I prayed that God would take my alcohol addiction away. Or I prayed that God would, would help me do this. I, I prayed that he would take it away. And here's the truth. I've been a pastor for 10 years now. And, and have I seen those miracle stories happen? Yes, I have. But most of the time to get over sin, you gotta suffer. If you wanna conquer sin in your life, have you ever sat with a heroin addict who's trying to get free? They suffer. 
Have you ever talked to somebody who's an alcoholic? Who's trying to get free of alcoholism? They suffer. Have you ever known somebody that's been having sex outside of marriage and they have to come to grip with the consequences of those decisions? There is suffering. God doesn't just take away the sin. He takes away the consequences for them, yes. He'll give you the courage to conquer it, yes. He will empower you to, to, to suffer well and to embrace it. He will give you the courage to face breaking up with somebody or to put the bottle away or to stop hoarding on to things. He will give you the courage, but it's gonna sting. It's gonna hurt. If you've been a Christian for any long, you know Dying to the self is not fun. But being free from sin is. Walking in freedom is fun. And so there's, there are some of you in this room tonight that are in full-fledged bondage and you have prayed that God would take your sin away from you and I'm gonna look at you and say, wrong prayer. Pray for courage to endure. Will you stand up? I don't know what your suffering looks like, but here's what I know. I know that Jesus so identifies himself with you that when Saul was on the road to Demaeus, to Demaeus, I just combined two, on the road to Damascus. Demaeus, Demaeus, sounds like a pop song. When he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him, he didn't say, you're persecuting my church. He didn't say, you're persecuting Billy and Bob and Jane and John and Peter. He says, it is me that you're persecuting. Jesus so identifies with you that when you are going through your torment, your attack, your difficulty, your trial, whatever's coming your way, he sees that as it happening to himself. So some of you need to realize that Jesus so identifies himself like he he believes a lot more than you do that he resides in you. And then two, some of you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. You need to be filled with joy. I love that. I mean, Shabba Baba. I remember the moment, the day that I got filled with joy. You can ask my wife, I have not been the same person since. Suffering and joy is a lot better than suffering for suffering's sake. And so if you need joy in your life, I just want you to, to come up front. Like if you, need, if you need to feel empowered, if you need to feel like you've had suffering going on in your life, like I just am gonna call you up front. Like I know there's so much pain 
and difficulty and struggles in this world. And I want you to come up front and I want you to receive ministry because this is part of it. Like this is the comfort part and we're gonna have the ministry team and we're gonna have RHSM students coming and laying hands on, on each and every one of you. If you need healing in your body, if, you, if you're like experiencing suffering through heat, like you need healing, like physical pain, I want you to come over here and we're gonna have kids talk to you or pray for you and probably talk to you. But I, I believe this could be a, a life-changing night for some of you. That, that some of you have been under bondage for a long time, but tonight it can change. Tonight you could get set free. Tonight the suffering, your, your perspective will shift. And so I'm just going to bless you. I asked this, these guys if they could sing tonight. I have decided to follow Jesus. I think that's a really appropriate song to sing tonight. And so, Lord, I just, we say we are, though none go with us, we will follow. You are the lover of our lives and we take the posture of the early church and we say, Lord Jesus, we will suffer with joy. That we are done becoming victims to our suffering and we believe that who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we pray for the courage tonight. We pray for the courage tonight to endure. We pray, we confess any escapism ideology that we have. And we say that we see ourselves as a heaven and earth people that Jesus has so taken up residence in our life that when he looks at our affliction, he says it is Satan. He, he, he looks at Satan and says, it is me that you're persecuting. And so, Lord, we just love you. We honor you. And I just pray, even for some of you, maybe you're not saved and you need to get saved. I want you to come up front. I just feel like ministry is going to be important tonight. I got so many text messages this week from people who are struggling, who are going through difficult times. And God is going to captivate you with hope tonight. He's going to bring, he's going to shift perspectives in your mind. I know it. I know it. I know it. And if, if you're not going to receive ministry, I ask that you leave and please do not talk. Go in this sanctuary because I want this to be a place of encounter where heaven and earth can meet. And so if you want to continue conversations, I ask that you go outside. If you want to stay and linger and worship for a little bit, worship for a little bit. But I just bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. I bless you with hunger and courage and thirst. In Jesus' name, amen. ministry team or prophetic ministry team, I encourage you to just come up and roam and lay hands on people and pray for people. And if you 
are in the ministry, prophetic ministry team, but you're not scheduled tonight. We have plenty of people up here. If you have the time and are willing to come up, just lay hands and let's bless one another tonight.